Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Call it... Madcap. Madcap. Cap or cat, meow. Cap. Why are you called madcap? Oh, it's a uh, synonym of crazy and wild. <laughs> As you know. Uh, you all look really crazy and wild. Well, you know... Uh, are you crazy and wild? Of course. We, 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 let, we let it out in the production. get like a box of cookies, a bottle of wine, stretch out in the studio. Dude, you're mad. I know. Mad, <laughs> mad cap. Mad cap also has the letters D and C right in the middle. So oh, that's cute. That's cute. That's um patriotic and shit. Well, to to well, I don't know what do you call being patriotic to a state. We're not a state. Oh shit, what are you? We're nothing. Oh fuck, yeah, you're a city. Taxation no, without representation. That's our oh, deal. Oh, you're getting too clever for me. Let's talk about the music. Jesus. Let's do that. Wildest Moments by Jesse Ware. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madcap. I'm David Ross. And I'm Daniel Bloom. All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween as it's commonly known, is a time for the young and the young at heart to dress up, cause mischief, and eat candy. Our guest today, English singer and songwriter Jesse Ware, spent her Halloween doing all three, and we were lucky enough to spend some time in her company at the Fillmore in Silver Spring. And I was altruistic enough to present Jesse Ware with the gift of Laffy Taffy. Priceless. Thanks for bringing me Laffy Taffy. There's that song, Shake Your Laffy Taffy, isn't there? How's it go? Yeah. Is it Shake Your Laffy Taffy? Shake Your Laffy Yeah, you think it's I'm like, cool now, it's huh? It's like this deep voice, that Laffy Taffy. Laffy Taffy. That Laffy Taffy. Yeah, man, it's good. You may know Jessie Ware from her backup singing with Subtract, Joker, and Jack Peñate, or the remixes of her work done by the likes of Disclosure, Joe Goddard from Hot Chip, and George Fitzgerald. This song, Devotion, is the title track of Jessie Ware's excellent 2012 album, produced by Dave Akumu of the band The Invisible and the renowned DJ and producer Julio Bashmore. Used to be so close to me Would you please state your name for the people? My name's Jesse Ware. Okay, I'm David Ross. I'm Daniel Bloom. Are you Jewish? How did you know? What, Bloom? But Bloom is my Catholic side. Oh. When my parents went to Israel, they let my dad go through because of that name, and they questioned my mom for hours, even though oh, she's, wow. she is the Jewess. 
Oh, yeah, you're still a Jew, though, aren't you? Yeah, I know. I mean, it's... it's Mothers. All, it's all here. I pointed to my nose. Yeah. yeah. You could tell. I know. It's the twinkly Jew eyes. Thank you. <laughs> Daniel Bloom also gave it away, but... Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Appreciate okay, that. Okay, sorry. I'll ca- let's carry on with this music. That is the first time that's ever happened in an interview. I feel, really? I feel right at home. That's, okay, good. That's, that's lovely. Why not? Good. Shanatova. Shanatova, I guess. Yeah. Shanatova. Okay, um... Can I pronounce that? Shanatova. Tova. Shanatova. That was kind of... That was kind of... You felt kind of aggravated. Shanatova. All right, nailed it. All right, we're going to do some word association. Oh, fuck. Yeah, go on. So, since you're an English lit major, we're going to do this. Oh. Now... You're obviously clever, and you're going to show how I only got a 2-1. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. I brought... brought, I brought help. I then pulled out a dictionary. What you can do oh is God. a letter for each letter describe your sound of Jesse. You're so annoying. <laughs> J is for Jazza. Alright. E is for emotional. S is for sassy. S is for solemn. South London. South. S is for South. I is for Oh God, I don't know, immature? I don't know. Um, no, it's quite mature actually, my music, I'd like to say. E is for, um, oh, this is such a dry, this is rubbish. Um, enthusiastic? Nailed it. Thanks. Nailed it. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Thank you. Walking alone, I'm in the red lines. Trying to find, find the right time. Walking alone, I'm in the red light. Trying to find, find the right time. This is Right Thing to Do by Subtract, featuring Jesse Ware on vocals. So take me to the journey from becoming a, I guess, aspiring documentary journalist to to now. <laughs> I know. It's bizarre. Walking alone, I'm in the red lines. Trying to find, find the right time. Walking alone, I'm on the wrong side. Trying to find, find the right lines. Let me eat. I did English literature and I thought I wanted to be a hard-hitting journalist but I wasn't very good at it. I also wanted to be a sports journalist. I wanted to be quite a lot of things. I wanted to be an ice skater when I was younger and then um, I wanted to... Oh, sorry, Daniel Bloom wants to speak. He just did, like, give me the mic. I know. You need to keep continue because I just thought of my follow-up question. Okay, Go on. Fine. All right. Daniel looks like he's on a business call. Can we just bear this in mind? He's got his wireless headphones in. <laughs> like it's going to be like, talk to me, talk to me. He refuses the Sony headphones. That's, that's what he likes. I like the low-key headphones, you know? I just love that you've got like every kind of like interactive kind of like miking. You're mic'd up, boy. Um. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, I... I got really lucky and my friend wanted to um, let me be his backing singer and then I had a place at law school Jack Pinate and you'd know about Jack Pinate because you lived in London fine wicked and I toured the states with him with Mike Snow and that was hard work but really fun and then um, and then I got really signed too quickly and here we are ice skating favorite ice skater I don't know that many. Torval and Dean, I don't know. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they're the only ones I know, really. <laughs> Let's be honest. I haven't thought about them in a long time. There's um, an ice skating rink in Silver Spring. Yeah. It's very bizarre. There was a, I, less than two, this ch- child was, just b- 
running things on the on 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 the ice and all these other people that were like 20 15 30 were all falling over and this kid was just like fearless it was amazing i taught her everything she knows <laughs> really great excellent <laughs> you wanted to be a, fo- uh, a sports journalist yeah what's your favorite sport oh i like football what's your team can we talk about Manchester how bad Manchester united is what did you say? So can we talk about how bad <laughs> Americans are at soccer? Should we talk about that? Right. Okay. Yeah, that you call it soccer and it's actually football. So let's not go there, shall we, babe? What did you just say? I said, can we talk about how bad Manchester United is? Why are you being so antagonistic in this yeah, interview? What is your problem? Such a hurricane, such a hurting pain. Trapped in my soul and I can't explain. Such a hurricane, such a hurting pain. Trapped in my soul and I can't explain. I've invited you into my space, <laughs> into my dressing room. Fine, you gave me some Laffy Taffy, but you've also given me some attitude. I think this is like good cop, bad cop. It is, it is. Also, you keep on bringing out these manuscripts. We've got the, <laughs> we've got the fucking dictionary here. And then we're like, what's the next article? Because I spoke to the oh uh, lit department of University of Sussex, you know what I'm saying? And they no, were, you didn't. And they were like, Show her this picture. She might remember this building. I don't know. Yeah. What does this building mean to you? Oh, the arts A. Is that what English was? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. It means diddly squat. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't very good at English. They were like, and ask her about the meeting house. The meeting house was where you got free coffee. It was like where all the Christians were. And so we used to go there for free coffee and like, and bagels they used to give out. Obviously, the Jew wasn't really like, you know, I, I, I'm Jew through and through. And my favourite thing about Sussex was that on like the open days with like the Freshers Week, there was a really cute guy at the JSOC, which is Jewish Society. Now, I'm not one of those people that joins societies, but he was really cute. So I ring up my mum and I'm like, Mum, I just joined JSOC. She was like, you're such a loser. And I was like, yeah, but they were giving free hummus and he was really cute. She was like, okay, fine. <gasps> now, they also did this thing where they just outside the library, you could get a mitzvot on the spot, which is a blessing on the spot. You just went into this room, you got a mitzvot on the spot. I thought that was genius. Oh, really? Yeah. It is amazing to hear all these Jewish terms with your accent. Daniel Bloom's so happy. I really am. <laughs> to life, to life, l'chaim. I'm curious about this Manchester United connection. Mm. So you're from London. But my mum my mom is Manchester, Mancunian. So she, my mum's whole side are Man- Manchester Jews. And, um, and so I kind of inherited um, growing up supporting United my my mum's cousin even worked with Manchester United on their like child protection scheme for like all the young um, youth players um, we've got season tickets in the family um, I was absolutely mad about Manchester United do you believe in David Moyes yeah I do actually good I, I don't think that Alex Ferguson would let somebody take the job and I don't think that Alex Ferguson is that far away from anything I think he's involved so I just think fair enough like he's it's just the beginning. Like it's not his team. He's inherited a team that aren't his team, and 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 I I think he'll be all right. Well, I'm an Everton fan, so I have a deep and abiding love for David. Yeah, Moyes. man. Look what he did for Everton. I don't begrudge him at all for taking the job. I hope he succeeds. That's really nice of you. So you majored in English literature, and mm. now you're a songwriter. So did <laughs> yeah, you write? Kind of. Did you write like stories? No. What, what was the bridge? No. I wrote a diary once, a diary entry that my sister read, and so I never wrote again. 
I was too scared to see what people um, would think of it. Uh, yeah, I, I was absolutely petrified being a songwriter. I don't, still don't think I'm really much of a songwriter. I just write some words that rhyme together and have romance in them. Do you consider the songwriting process therapeutic? I find it painful. You find it painful? That's the elevator, and if you can hear that, I'm really sorry. I find it sometimes therapeutic. I've definitely written a few songs on the next album that I've been like, wow, okay, oh, they're about that, and I didn't even realise when I was writing them, which is kind of quite kind of therapeutic after. But yeah, they're painful. I find it really painful to write because I want to get it so right. Have any lyrics that you've ever written made you cry in the process of writing them? No, I think that'd be slightly... Oh my God, this is so good. No, I've never done that. No. Is that weird? No. It's That'd not weird. be like real pat on the back, wouldn't it? Oh my god, god I've god I'm so emotive. Lose yourself in the glow. Rise and fall. This is Swan Song. Say if it was just something so personal to you that, that you just... When I sing them, yeah. that's when it comes out a bit more. I've definitely wanted to cry a few times when I've sung. What inspires you more, joy or pain? Pain. Always? Yeah, I like writing miserable songs. What's fun about fun songs? I mean, I love a good fun song, don't get me wrong. I love Chic. I love how up they are. I love happy songs, but for me, I sound really shit when I write happy songs. Interesting. you know I'm, I've ended my antagonistic questions. Are you sure? Yes, I'm, I'm, pos I'm positive. I'm, I'm positive. Don't let your guard Are down. Are you staying for the show? Uh, yeah. yeah, he is. Okay, good. Why aren't you staying? I have a date. Bring her here. Good idea. Why not? That's a good idea. Oh my God, in Sweet Talk, I get the people next to each other to like kiss. Oh, really? Dude, is it first date? No, second date. Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to make you look so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm on a first date tonight. Shut up. Yes. I love this shit. What about you? No, no, Dade. No women. You gotta find someone here tonight. <laughs> Dude, I'm not even joking. Bring her here. Okay. You're lying to me. I'm not Where lying are you to gonna you. go otherwise? Nando's. <laughs> we were gonna get dressed up as a German beer garden, human human beer garden, and crash parties. That was our plan for tonight. Is she your mate or is this a date? I mean, she's my date mate. She's my... Okay, well, you can do that after. And we've got yeah, an after yeah. party here too. I'm totally down. Dude, please, please, please. Bring her here. You've got to kiss in Sweet Talk. This is Sweet Talk by our guest, Jesse Ware. I'm Dan Bloom with David Ross, and you're listening to Madcap. For the record, she totally did hook me up on that second date, David. Good looking out, Jesse. But you give me the sweet talk, and it works for me. And it's the sweet words that pulls me 
talk, I think when you talk about Whitney, that song, you sound the most like Whitney. <laughs> yeah, because I had to do, I just trying to do ooze really high pitched and I was definitely thinking of Whitney all the way through that. The, the way your voice travels on it and the production, it just like, thank you. Sounds like Whitney. <laughs> Chaka Khan, Whitney, Billie Holiday, what do these women mean to you? They're all, sorry, I'm just having a laughy taffy. It's all right. Um, they're all really strong women, I think, that know themselves and they're divas, but I think divas in the best way, like not in the negative sense that, you know, they're being stroppy or they're, you know, being madams. They're like, they sing and you feel everything that they say and they're sassy and they make good music all in different ways. So, yeah, that's that's why I love them. When's the last time you sang to yourself can't can't help loving that man of mine? <laughs> How do you know that I know that song like that song? Research, baby, research. Oh my god, look, he's so antagonistic. Look, he's like that. Yeah, look at me. <laughs> um, yeah, I I was thinking of doing it. I was thinking of doing it at my cousin's wedding, but then I didn't have to do it because they wanted what a wonderful world. So a few weeks ago. Can I just tell you one of your songs that I completely love? What? If you're never gonna move. Oh, thanks. This song is hot. Well, you can dance to your date number two tonight. The singing on it with the beat, the beat's all oh, like, oh, thanks. Fly, love it. I've been crying for like five hours and not showing my notepad to um, Julio Bashmore. It's our first session together in Bristol and I was texting my manager being like, I can't speak. I don't want to show him anything. And he was like, well, you're not coming home. So like, just deal with it. And I was like, I can't do this. And Bashmore was like, we can't really make a song unless you show me what you've written. I was like, oh, I can't do it. It's so bad. And then we were looking at a hip hop magazine and it had all these portraits of different people. Snoop in the 90s and Tupac and Biggie and like who else was Mystical was in there and um I love Mystical <laughs> <laughs> Yes I love Mystical 
so mystical in your own words could you explain your style i gotta gonna rhyme like a tumble through the air like a rambo spear so y'all can stop looking in other but a fake but a man right yeah you really didn't think that i could swing mine i'm doing bad i'm singing rhyme at the same time talk about behind my back don't make me no never mind because all you can think is i'm smarter than all you stand i'm fire like i you never catch me because i'm swept as a high you know give me the chance i rock the leaf and i read it like tina marie be rocking tip between Swing with the guillotine, rolling round nigga town. Whenever I see these fools, be wanting to prove that I'm the man. Sex, I'm cooler than a friend. I'm cooler than a fan. Do you really love mystical that much? Of course, of course. He wasn't very nice to women. Though, He's a horrible he? guy. There was this picture of Big Pun in like this PVC yellow, like all in one on a throne. Don't wanna yeah. be Uh-huh. It's like, we're going to write a love song to Big Pun. So oh. we sampled Big Pun, which then became a bit of a problem after that. Interesting. But we were just like messing about, like just trying to, because we didn't know it was going to come out. So we were just trying to get through the day. And he had this really cool, like, um, backing track, which sounded quite similar to like Millionaire. It had that kind of uppy thing. And so we just put like this carving my initials on your forehead, which was from Dream Shatterer. And I was like, right, I'm going to be like one of those honeys that are trying to like get Big Pun to get off his chair and dance with me. So it's, that's why it's, I know you hear me, but can you reach me? Feel free to do It's like, you know, and Play Hard is a reference to one of his songs. And like, but then, um, yeah, one of the writers, it wasn't Big Pun's lot. Um, one of the writers um, after... I, uh, it's, it's a really s- sad story actually so my album came out and um, and then after it had been come out and it had been released as a single well I was under the impression that everything had been cleared I was like you know we've given him some publishing like his estate or whatever you know like it's been cool like there's an agreement here wicked amazing like I've got big pun on my album amazing right then like one of the writers wasn't happy about it and apparently the agreement hadn't been signed and the lawyer that was dealing with it had died and his the agreement was still on his desk but we didn't know this what? so it's like it's like a william boyd novel or something that like it's wild and so so then we had to take the sample off and we had to re like i like we got a big pun like fucking impersonator to and we had to say something else like it was really it was really sad but it's still, um, it's, it's still a love song to Big Pum. somewhere that every great artist secretly performs for an audience of one so like you're thinking about one person yes yes so who is that one person besides self that you want to impress as you grow and evolve it varies it would be Sade when you're on the outside baby and you can get in I will show you you're so much better than you know it would be my boyfriend on some nights it would be 
Kanye West on other nights. Or it would be Randy from uh, American Idol. <laughs> so he could be like, yo, baby, that was just tight. You were a bomb tonight, baby. That was hot. And if you want to cry, I am here to dry your eyes. Mm-hmm. And in no time, you'll be fine. song taking in water now that song that song that song like seduces me i gotta really <laughs> yeah I love that. that's about my little brother oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can i just say what david has written on the paper here is taking in water this song makes me massage myself <laughs> that's about my gay brother so that's wicked <laughs> phenomenal <laughs> that is tremendous you nailed that's that one. Wicked. You nailed um, it. I definitely won't talk about the story then tonight. I'll just be like, that's for you and your first date. Just I'm taking water for Is it true that your first live show was at Glastonbury? Uh, it wasn't my first live, but it was my first show with Jack Pinate. That's a pretty um, serious. Like, yeah, <laughs> and I played the same stage this year as myself. All right. And that was crazy, and that was really emotional, and like it was broadcast on the TV, on BBC, and like um, it was full, and everyone had taken too many drugs throughout the weekend. So then when they came to watch me on the Sunday, all their serotonin levels were so low, they <laughs> sobbed all the way through yes. my show. So I was like, I you and, um, that's perfect and they're like oh my god that was so weird and I was like yeah it's because you're really really tired and you need some orange juice and sunshine I guess you wonder where I've been What You Won't Do For Love, a cover of Bobby Caldwell, recorded by Jesse Ware. I went to Atlanta the other day and I had one of the best crowds ever. It was like Sister Act 2. So it was like, girl, you sick! And I was like, oh my God, amazing. So it was even, it was Sister Act 2 and Glee Club. So it was like loads of gays, like the gays love me and I love them so much. And I think that my brother could clean up at one of my shows. So I had loads of gay guys there they're all just like so sweet. And then I had all these like mummers and these girls that were like, girl, you sing it. What you won't do, do, do for love. You tried everything, but you don't give up. 
switching gears, let's talk about season four of The Wire. Oh, the best season. The kids. The kids. Who's your favorite one? Oh, God, I've watched it so far long ago. Um, I loved Michael, and then he was on bloody 90210, wasn't he? And then he was really nice on it. And then it kind of ruined it for me, because he was so good. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You don't rattle. Yo, you come up under my wing, youngin', you ain't gonna do nothing but rise, man. I don't even know why you thinking about quitting. Look, man, like I already told you, I'm all the way repaid. And tomorrow's school. Oh, man, what the fuck you wanna go to school for? What you wanna be? Astronaut? Where thank you so much for thank the time. You. We appreciate that was very, it. That was very pleasant. That, no, it was more than pleasant. It was in, it was brilliant. Apart from you giving me all these like aggressive look at him, like look at Alex, look at what he's got. He's bought a fucking dictionary. He's bought like appendix A. Um yeah. Went in. Oh uh, yeah, the sweets were nice, but he's just trying to make my ass bigger, so yeah, but no, it's cool. I love how you totally psychoanalyzed our act completely. You were like, is Daniel, this an act? Daniel, like Daniel Bloom is very happy, and David Ross is antagonistic. You're co you, could, could, you could not be more right. You just read us like a and book. And you need to bring. You promised me that you're going to bring the girl. I promise, I'm going to bring the girl. But he's on a second date out, first date, and you will meet someone. <laughs> Do we got to go? Oh, fine, don't. No, you're then out. you're fine. He's out. Then you will not meet someone. No. Um, all right, thank you. Thank you. Jessie Ware with the song Running. Her debut album is called Devotion. Find her on Twitter at Jesse underscore Ware and online at jessieware.com. Special thanks to the great Jesse Ware, to the Fillmore in Silver Spring for hosting this interview, and to Alexandra, Hillary, and Ted. And special thanks to Tejas Mystery, the reason we know of Jesse Ware in the first place. He has such a nice smile. <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> Coming up next, we have a Washington Post columnist, Clinton Yates. Uncle Clint, as we call him. For those who don't know, we in the District of Columbia have a political shitstorm of biblical proportions on our hands involving the current sitting mayor who's involved in a re-election campaign. Clinton Yates will illuminate all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Madcap. I'm David Ross. And I'm Daniel Bloom. 
Today we have with us in studio one of the premier media personalities here in the great environs of Washington, D.C. He is a columnist for the Washington Post. He is a commentator for WTOP. Washington, D.C.'s prodigal son, <laughs> Clinton Yates. Clinton, welcome to Madcap. Glad to be here, man. I'm, I'm excited about this. And we could not have had you in here on a more fortuitous week because U.S. Attorney Ron Machen Jr. want to give this man the full respect that he deserves. Yo, he's grinding. Because he has just thrown the world's biggest monkey wrench into the D.C. mayoral race that we could have possibly imagined. Uh, we are here today with our partners from the FBI and the IRS to announce a major development in our ongoing fight against corruption. Today, D.C. contractor Jeff Thompson admitted to bankrolling efforts to secretly inject millions of dollars of corporate cash into local and federal campaigns over the last decade. Jeffrey Thompson, a.k.a. my good friend, <laughs> Uncle Earl, <laughs> has admitted and pled to contributing illegally, funneling money through shadow campaigns to not just the current mayor of Washington, D.C., Vincent Gray, but virtually every member of the D.C. City Council. So, Clinton, if you would, please just give our listeners a bird's-eye view of what has taken place this week in the most general terms that you can. Okay, so Ron Machen is the U.S. attorney. He's been investigating the mayor almost since he got elected about this money situation. And he's had a hard time nailing him down. He's basically gone through every channel possible. He subpoenaed a good amount of people on the council about this. You talked about the people that made money. Just this week, he decided he was going to indict and charge Jeffrey Thompson. Now, this is obviously of import because the Democratic primary, which some people believe is the mayor's race in itself, happens on April 1st, April Fool's Day, irony noted. Appropriate. But, um, you know, and so the point is, is that this this whole situation is likely going to affect the primary even more fortuitously. The state of the district speech was Tuesday night. And so to think that the mayor had to take the stage in front of the entire city after dealing with all of this, it was fascinating, and it was a it was a bizarre scene to say the least. And you were in attendance. I was absolutely there. It was at Kelly Miller Middle School, which is on Central Avenue. It's in Ward Seven, not named after the former Washington Capitol. No, no. Just to be clear, or his brother Kip, who's also a good player. But um, <laughs> uh, no, was, dude, Kelly Miller was really good in NHL '94. On a side note, nice. But it was just a bizarre situation because. Everybody was sort of wondering, is he going to address this? Is he going to talk about it? Have his lawyers instructed him not to? Nah, homeboy came right out and just started dissing everybody, talking bad about Jeffrey Thompson. He called him greedy. I ask you, who do you believe? A greedy, a greedy, a greedy man attempting to save himself? Or me, a public servant who has dedicated my entire career and my entire life to giving back to our communities in the District of Columbia. He said that he tried to disrupt the um, ele- the election of Barack Obama, which got a big applause because he contributed to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Oh, illegally. yeah, a lot of money, too. She apparently didn't know about it. But the bird's eye <laughs> view is basically that Vince Gray was put into office through what a lot of people would consider a, steal- a stolen election as a result of the shadow campaign, and he is now defiantly saying that he had nothing to do with it and didn't know and that Jeffrey Thompson is nowhere near anything he's ever done or known anything about, even though Jeffrey Thompson says otherwise. Do you believe him? You know what? The point is, to me at this point, 
I don't know that it matters whether or not I believe him. And I think that's one of the things that he's actually insulted the intelligence of a lot of residents on, which is Mm. that, you know what, I don't care if you didn't know. The fact that it happened at all is just as problematic to me as whether or not you orchestrated it. And that's something that I don't think he's given enough credit to the average voter for so far in this case. If you've got code nicknames for people... (laughs) That is an automatic tip-off <laughs> that something is amiss. And, again, you can't insult people's intelligence. You're calling some guy Uncle Earl. That guy's younger than you are. <laughs> and you've got nicknames for him for your little money transfers because you thought that you were going to get some sort of revenge from the Fenty campaign. I'm not buying that. You know, I, I think that he knew something was amiss, but he conveniently put himself in a situation where he couldn't say absolutely that he was a part of it. That was interesting because... Vincent Gray, as soon as this news came down, in my view, wisely spoke to the media almost immediately, and he denied basically everything that Jeffrey Thompson said and called them all lies, literally lies. Yes, that's exactly what he said. Meanwhile, this is the U.S. Justice Department who is backing up these claims, so we're setting up a pretty imbalanced he said, she said in this situation, but what he did cop to was the very fact that you mentioned, that he is willingly and openly referring to a financier of elections as Uncle Earl. Very bizarre. So what is the message you're trying to send? If it's all lies, if the impropriety is all lies, why would you need to call him (laughs) Uncle Earl? And that's what I'm saying. This is where it gets back to the, I'm smart enough to realize that you're clearly making one part of this up if you seem to think that those two things are are not congruent, which they are in most people's minds. And it's just weird to me how he's made this all about him, basically saying... Well, if you don't believe Jeffrey Thompson, I'm good enough to vote for mayor. And I'm like, hold on. There's a lot in between there. There are a lot of other candidates. Just because you might not necessarily be guilty of every single thing you're accused of doesn't mean that you make the best candidate for mayor going forward. And that's something that he has not addressed and has acted as if it's a completely unreasonable stance. And I think there's going to be a lot of voters that are offended by that on a basic level. And one question I have is about the mental conditioning of the residents of the District of Columbia. Is the voting bloc so used to rampant corruption from its elected officials that this scandal will not matter as much as we're making it out to? I don't think it will. But I also think that there is a large part of the electorate that is not the usual D.C. resident. Again, I mean, not to drop the G word, but gentrification has drastically changed what the electorate of the district has been like. And I'm not saying it's moved everything. I mean, it's not like every single, you know, young white millennial that's moved into the city is suddenly voting in local politics. I take offense to that. But of those that are, that which is a big block, though. I mean, let's not, let's be clear on this. This is a big block. It's not like all of those people are voting. But if, you know, I don't know, whatever percentage you want to say of them are Oy, I mean, that's not good for Vince because that, you know, the old the old guard of the D.C. Democrats yeah, you know, I mean, they, they, they can be neutralized on a certain level if enough people get out to vote. But again, this is the Democratic primary. There is still a general election in the fall, which could be significant, if it, you know, when David Catania gets his gets his uh, his campaign moving. Exactly. And that is the other complicating factor that just dropped this week is after the indictment came down, Catania immediately threw his slid right on in. He was waiting on the sidelines. <laughs> yes. And so that does add a certain level of intrigue to this story. It means that the ultimate story will not necessarily be able to be written on April 2nd or 3rd or whenever the official election results do come back. Do you think that David Catania who has championed things like gay rights as an openly gay man himself. Do you think that David Catania, former Republican, has a shot as an independent to actually win the mayor's race? I think he's got a big shot. You do? And I actually think he's got the best shot of beating Gray 
if Gray wins. That mm-hmm. sounds awkward, but the point is, is that he is so different from Vince Gray that I think that demographic that we just discussed would come out in full force against him if Gray were the Democratic candidate. Muriel Bowser, you know, Ward 4 council member, Tommy Wells, Ward 6 council member, Jack Evans, who I think is more of a long shot, Ward 2 council member, they all sort of draw from the same base that Catania does. Mm-hmm. Gray, not so much. Right. And if Gray wins, I think Catania has a great shot to get this, which would be historic, plainly, but... I don't know whether or not that's whether or not that's going to be able to happen as a result of everything we've just been talking about beforehand. But yes, I think Catania is absolutely a viable candidate. And beyond that, I'm going so I'll go so far as to say I I think he would be a good mayor. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I'm endorsing the guy. It's not about that. But I don't think he's just doing this for the sake of the horse race. I actually think he's a pretty good candidate. How old is he? Catania can't be more than 45 years old. Yeah, I was going to say he's probably he's south somewhere probably, south of 50. Probably within 40 between 40 and 45. Is he a native? No, he's from oh, – how did Catania get here? He went to GW or he went to Georgetown. He's a lawyer. Okay. And, um, you know, but like, like like you mentioned, he's you know he's an openly gay candidate. He has pushed for gay marriage here. He's been here for a long time. Education is one of his big reform tools. Hasn't been corrupted either. And, yeah, and exactly. And he's, com- he's coming from the right side to the center as in to independence. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are just tired of voting for Democrats and for a lot of that – frankly disenfranchised group in the district i think he could champion a lot a lot of causes on that front and it'll be interesting to see what he does over the summer now the longer that this quote-unquote scandal goes on by the way do we have like a gate can this be called like earl, oh, or no, uncle earl no, gate or there's something no gates <laughs> all right this is this is standard operating procedure <laughs> in the district right. which is unfortunate for but corruption it needs it's to, true it needs yeah. to be more surprising to warrant a gate yes i would say so so in this scenario it seems to me that the longer it stretches out the more it's going to hurt the people who have already been linked with Uncle Earl. Yeah. If people cared enough and were outraged enough, it would seem that Jeffrey Thompson would be radioactive and anyone who he's touched or contributed to would have to suffer. And that leaves Tommy Wells in a great position to capitalize on this. It does, but there's also the opposite effect, which is that people don't consider it a big deal. Because it's like, hey, this happens all the time. And if so many people were affected, how much change did it really enact? And I think that that's something that I'm not sure a lot of people are really recognizing, which is that a lot of people are like, you know what? This dude gave money to everybody. Forget about it. It's not that big a deal. It doesn't change everything about who these people are. It's just a power play on his part to try to control politics. And I think there's a lot more people that think that way than do who say, oh, if you were affiliated with Jeffrey Thompson, I'm not going to vote for you. Mm -hmm. I think there's far less people in that camp than than in the, the former. What about the individuals that just feel like they live in a robust city where they don't even have to address this? You know what I'm saying? Because they feel like this isn't even that important to them because the city's already functioning. That this is just their own like drama. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what Gray is counting on. You know, when you saw him talking at the State of the District yesterday, he had a lot to say about, you know, the cranes and <laughs> affordable housing and how much money he's going to put into that, which, again, uh, affordable housing is a, is obviously a critical cause. That's sort of a different matter. Yeah, but, what, what affordable housing? Right, have you looked I mean, for an apartment a, in D.C. recently? Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. no affordable housing unless you have gazillions of dollars. But my point is, is that there's a lot of people that say, you know what, it's safer than it was 15 years ago. It's safer than it was arguably 10 years ago. Everybody seems to have a job who I know, which is basically if you're not a part of the, excuse me, disenfranchised community, read lower to middle income black folks, it doesn't matter to you. And I think that's a big part of what Gray is counting on. A big part of what a lot of other candidates are counting on, too, because a lot of these folks are not necessarily speaking to the communities that don't have as much. They're speaking to the people that do have something because that's where the resources are. And it doesn't make sense to focus their energies otherwise in their opinions, not my opinion, their opinions. Has Vincent Gray been a good mayor? 
I I mean, that's hard to say. I I would say he's been the steward of a good era in the district. To say he's been a good mayor, I just think completely dismisses the notion that people have been turned off by his general attitude about this investigation for years. Because, And I would consider myself one of those people because for him to say nothing about this for four years effectively and then just say, oh, well, they're all lies. It's like, hold on. If they were all lies from the jump and you're sort of speaking out of turn in terms of the context of his lawyer apparently having no say on whether or not he chooses to talk to the press or not, you'd think he would have been a little bit more forward about indicating that he wasn't involved in this outside of just saying, I don't know. You know, and he said, I don't know for so long that I think it's very difficult to believe him. And as a result, that basic credibility hit is enough to say he wasn't a great mayor, but he was certainly around for when a lot of good things happened. You can't take that away from him. Interesting. When is the city going to recognize the talents of Vincent Orange? <laughs> Vincent Orange, your boy? Uh, yeah. yeah. Why, why do you like Vincent Orange so much? I think that he represents America. His last like... name rhymes with nothing. <laughs> Orange, exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't respect the man. He's, I find him very trivial. You know what I'm saying? But, like, like, <laughs> but, but he's, I mean. Only... He's been tainted heavily by this scandal. Absolutely. Yeah. He does not come out smelling like an orange in this No, one. he does not. He's also a guy that runs a lot. I mean, he's run for mayor before. He's run for chairman before. He's run for a bunch of different stuff and has never really gotten it outside of the side channels he's been able to get back on the council with. But a very well-dressed man. He's a nice <laughs> of course, guy. Of course. With that shiny-ass face. can't <laughs> trust that thing. Dude, what's sad is I know this man's son. I know this man's family. I can't stand him. He's trifling as fuck. <laughs> Let's move on. The strong words of David Ross. Wow. <laughs> I am Daniel Bloom. We're here with our guest, Clinton Yates. We are here on Madcap, and we are talking about the upcoming D.C. mayoral race. It is a perfect time to have you in here, Clinton. And I'm glad to be here. I heard a, uh, a representative of your employer, one of your employers, the Washington Post, Mark Fisher, who brought up an interesting point that the corruption that we've all become used to from the members of the D.C. City Council is different than this political scandal. Because in the past, in the people you know, that we've spoken about, like Harry Thomas Jr., uh, and the, the the famous stories about luxury SUVs, that for the funds for which Boats. have been siphoned off yeah. of public coffers, that is your kind of typical, I'm going to line my pockets on the public dime. This is different. And this is Mark Fisher's point, is that this is a much more serious crime. Yeah. Is that I, this is trying to influence illegally an election, or in your words, steal an election, which yeah. is different than stealing money. This is messing with democracy and the democratic process. When Kwame Brown first got convicted, what I wrote was that he was just trying to get his shine on, but he didn't want to get caught. You know, he's buying boats, he's got SUVs, you know, he's fake, he's he's falsifying documents for the sake of getting more money. And, you know, I like Mark. Mark's obviously a friend of mine, but I don't know that I agree that they are really that different because the abuse of the public trust, to me, is what the core issue is. And, of course, it's different to try to undermine the entire value of democracy. I mean, that's, that's obviously a different thing and sort of a very academic sense. But to me, as a voter, they're not really much different. And I, as a resident as well, it, it doesn't really matter to me why you're choosing to abuse the public trust. But if it's a choice that you make, clearly you don't care. And there's a very slippery slope. You know, if you want to steal money from kids, that's not necessarily any lighter of an offense to me than trying to steer an election. That's, But I, I get his point on an, on an intellectual level, but I don't think to the average resident there's really a lot of delineation to be made. Now, Machen said that this is the, quote, tip of the iceberg, and that presumably, 
onlookers should be expecting more. I don't know what that means. Do you? Well, I'll tell you what I think it means. It means they're going to try hard as hell to indict Vincent Gray. Yeah, but Vincent Gray, to me, isn't the big fish in this situation. He's the guy that benefited from the corruption who can be voted in or voted out of an election. He's not the one that was actually steering the money. Jim so Graham I, was the one steering the money. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> that is an unbought... Uh, Bridge too far, David. Totally unfair accusation. But my point is, though, is that like the briber versus the bribee thing... Does it really make sense to say that just because he's at a higher public official level that he's actually the big fish if you break down the actual civic problems with why corruption is problematic? I mean, and, and that, that to me has always been bizarre to me about why Ron Machen said this. He's like, oh, we're going after the big fish. Who is the big fish? If Jeffrey Thompson is the one that was paying out all the money, he is the big fish. You know, mm. the mayor can get voted out. That can happen. It's not like he's got some position that's infallible. So I think there's a bit of a weird uh, construct with that, calling the mayor the big fish versus Thompson. And this is why Machen comes off perhaps as opportunistic, because for him to bring down a sitting mayor looks good for him. Exactly. It's sort of a trophy on the mantle, which although it might have been or might be, uh, you know, the best option for the citizens, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was the smartest way to go about it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but like I said, I am a resident and I am a native and I'm not out here to see people, you know, put heads on their walls. That's mm-hmm. not that's not what's up. Now, your paper, The Washington Post, endorsed formally Muriel Bowser mm-hmm. for mayor of Washington, D.C., and that in itself got me to take a little bit of a closer look at her. How do you feel like she is trending right now? Is she going to ultimately be one of the beneficiaries of the fallout for this scandal? I would say so. I mean, I think it's her and I think it's Tommy Wells. You know, I wrote a, I wrote a column last week about how Jack Evans, in my opinion, if there was a job, such a job as vice mayor, he'd be great for it because – you know, through no fault of his own, he's a rich white guy who lives in Georgetown. It is difficult for a lot of people to relate to that. It doesn't mean that he's a bad person. It doesn't mean that he's not trying. But I just don't think that the average citizen in the district looks at him and says, that's who I want to represent our city. And again, it may be unfair to him, but that aside, I think Muriel's in the best seat. And after that, I think it's Tommy Wells, who is, again, former social worker, Ward 6 guy, one of the most diverse wards in the city. I just think that it's going to be those two in the end, if there's going to be anybody that challenges Gray at all. This is a fascinating topic, and we could talk about this all day. Yo, (laughs) I do talk about it all day. Well, we appreciate you joining us to uh, to lend your expertise to this subject. If you wouldn't mind, David, I'd like to move off of this subject and onto something uh, a little bit... Are you okay with this? Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. Just less slimy? Oh No, yeah, Yeah. less slimy, a little bit broader. You are one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Thank you. At Clinton Yates. It's me. Not only do you share interesting stories from your own life and disseminate your opinions about important issues throughout the day, but you seem to curate conversations on interesting issues, retweeting people that you deem interesting or or worthy of listening to for your audience. Mm -hmm. If you would, just talk about your relationship of how you use Twitter as a journalist and as a private citizen. Well, as a journalist, I actually use it a lot for sourcing. I just think it's a good way to get words out there and ask people about things that I wouldn't necessarily be able to find out about by just walking down the street. I mean, that to me is what the ultimate equalizer is about Twitter, is that anybody who's on it can be wherever in the world. And so when you communicate with a certain group of people specifically, you never really know what you're going to get. But for me, I try to follow as many different types of people as possible. I don't care you know, where you're from or what you're doing. If you're coming with a perspective that I am not otherwise able to sort of feel and touch and interact with through my basic daily life, I'm probably going to follow you because that to me is what the interaction is about. Personally, I love it because it's fun. You know what I'm saying? There's always people got jokes. There's always people that have more information about something that I care about than I do. And, you know, there's the TV factor. When you're watching the game, 
it's tight to be on Twitter because you can interact with other people that are watching it. You don't have to be in the same place. And it just, I don't know. Twitter is one of those things that, quite frankly, I don't know what kind of journalist I would be at this point because it has really framed the way storytelling works for a lot of different people. you got storyfying. You know, I do a feature called Tweet of the Week every week on Tuesdays where I just sort of highlight different tweets and why I think they're important. It's become a really incredible social media tool, and I don't think that that's anything to scoff at just because it's got a goofy name or because it's not considered, you know, sort of old school journalism. It's a fantastic resource, every no doubt about it. Clinton Yates, you're a local guy, yes, and I have some general questions about your life in D.C. that, right. I'm, that I'm curious about. So we're going to call this the D.C. Lightning Round. All right. What radio station did you listen to the most while you were growing up? Ooh, that'd be a close tie between 99.1 HFS. And uh, probably KYS. I was big on KYS. I used to watch dishes at my mom's house, turn on the go-go, and, uh, you know, at night. But uh, I liked HFS a lot because, uh, you know, I like rock music. It's good. For the record, I liked Oldies 100. And Yo, yo, my bad. <laughs> I almost forgot about Oldies 100. Scooter Magruder and the I, Night Train. I didn't like Scooter Magruder, but Goldie yeah. was my man. I liked Goldie. Wow, that is so old school. Favorite Washington Bullet slash Wizard of all time. Favorite Calvert Chaney. Calvert Chaney. Favorite Boulet of all time. (laughs) That's close. Because I see the thing is is that first of all, I was a big Rod Strickland fan. He's all right. I I loved Rod Strickland, but he was a little bit ratchet, for lack of a better term. You know, his (laughs) lifestyle was not exactly something. Listen, I don't judge what any man does, but he was the last lyric in the Wu Tang song "Triumph." Guaranteed, made him jump like Rod Strickland. That might be one of the best DC shoutouts of all time in hip hop. That's a different story, but. Favorite Bullets player of all time? Muggsy's up there. Good one. You know, it might be Rod. Trick question. The answer is Earl Monroe. Earl Monroe. See, I see if I'd seen Earl play, I would have felt a little better about that. But, like, I can't call the guy my favorite that I never got to watch play. Bobby Bobby Dandridge. (laughs) Don't sleep on Doug Overton either. Doug Doug Overton was my boy. You know what? I might have to go with Doug Overton on that. I like Doug Overton. He was a no-nonsense dude. He talked zero (laughs) trash. He played, like, maybe... Nine minutes a week, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I think we're number 30. Doug Overton was a baller in my book. Did you attend Trelectro? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, man. How, I wrote a couple stories about Trelectro. How I mean, did you I, like it? There is an argument that your boy blew that up. I'm just kidding. But shout out to Modi and Quinn and Marty and all the guys from D.C. to B.C. But when they first did it two years ago, I wrote a story about them that was on the cover of the style section. And... um it was one of the more fun experiences I'd had in a while because those guys really had a vision and they've executed it pretty well. I mean, the last one was a little, wait, a lot happened at the last one. But I got in. Yeah, I mean, I was there all day, actually. I was looking for Terrio. That's a whole other story. But um, I read it. I read yeah, the story. <laughs> it was a mess. But I really like DC to BC, man. Those cats are, it's been really good to see the creative class in the district grow up as not just people that came here to put it down, but people that grew up here, people that were born born in the area and have finally sort of spread their wings. I mean, it's tight, you know. I think I mean, I think you understand what I'm saying. It's cool to see. Well, for me, in the last 10 years, like when I think of the three top places that you would find me on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. it's probably like U Street Music Hall, Tropicalia, Echo Stage. Yo, my man, none s- zero of those three places existed 10 years Tropicalia ago. Tropicalia is tight by the by. My man Selecta spins there all the time. Shouts to Selecta. He's a good DJ. DJ but Underdog. Yo, is I mean, all over that place. You're right. Too. And U Hall has become a behemoth. U Hall's I mean, amazing. That's, it's, mm-hmm. There's an argument that it's easily, it's the best small room in the district. I, I actually don't even think that's close. You know, I've seen a bunch of shows there recently, and every time it's just been like, yo, 
this joint is packed out. And Flash is a great club. And it's dope. But so this is all, this is new. You know, this is this did not exist 10 years ago. Oh, and hell no. I, and I, what I put it down to partially is pre and post Obama. Yeah. It feels to me like the city got way better, way younger, and way more interesting and creative since the administration of Barack it could Obama. Be. I hadn't thought about it that way. But when you look at the people that are here for college and you look at the people that came to the city just as consumers, to say that Obama's presence in the city didn't change D.C. on a local level, I think is stupid. I think you're exactly right. I mean, there was definitely something that folks were like, oh, I'm in D.C. I'm glad to be here of all types. You know, I mean, it wasn't just black folks. I mean, it was a lot of different people that just wanted to be in and around the area. And again, when those people start contributing to the society, to society in the context of money spent, music listened to, shows going to, food they're eating, you know, that makes a huge difference. And I think it has. How are the Nats going to be this year? Oh, I said before the season that I think the Wizards are going to be the only team from the D.C. area to make the playoffs this year. That was actually last year, but I, I don't know, man. I like the Doug Fister pickup, Mr. Feaster, as I like to call him, but I think that Bryce coming back is going to be huge. Have you seen him recently, yes, by the way? Yes, Jack, He looks, is gigantic. He looks very large. He looks extremely <laughs> large. And I just hope that that franchise has realized that you don't just luck box into the playoffs every year. You've got to actually work for it. And I'd say they probably got a 70% chance of making the playoffs. Strasburg's going to come back. I mean, what, how many games did he win last year? He won like six games. He won some incredibly low amount of games, even though he started like 20 or whatever he started. But I think they're going to be better this year than they were last season. But I don't know that that's necessarily going to make them a playoff team. What do you expect out of the Washington Post softball team in the hey DC Media League? See if, you, see, if you were watching on News Channel 8, as some radio shows do. Tap it. Tap the bat. Oh, yeah. That's 28 that's, ounces that's, right that's there. That's my, my, my maple lumber that I just bought that just came in the mail today. <laughs> yo, we've had some big-time acquisitions in the offseason, yo. All right. <laughs> some big-time acquisitions. Don't, don't sleep. <laughs> Where they come from? Don't sleep. We got uh, a young lady from the Orlando Sentinel oh, who's coming sh- up. Oh, they can play year-round down there. Yo, psh- She's good. She plays second base. We got me coming back, of course. We got my man James Wagner, Nats beat writer, who, uh, you know, Wheels Wagner, as we call him, because he runs a, runs a eight, eight flat 40. <laughs> um, you know, but no, looking forward to this season, man. It's always fun to play softball. It's a cool way to bond, you know what I'm saying, like with the different media. Is Chris Richards out there playing? Chris Richards is not on the softball team, no. Recruit. No. Look, he's, Chris- he's got hidden talent, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> You recruit Chris, <laughs> recruit Chris Richards, and you can play David and I in the first annual Madcap Doubles Ping Pong he's Challenge. Not, he's not interested, trust me, <laughs> in playing softball. I'd say the most high-profile player, I mean, Wagner might actually be the most high-profile player on our team, present company excluded. Um, <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. Who's your manager? Matt McFarlane. He is the innovations editor. He's currently at South By right now. What, Boz wouldn't do it? <laughs> Get out of here, man. Boz is... Boz is an actual life to live. It's pretty much a bunch of people. It's pretty much all the people under 35 with no kids that play on the team that actually are any good at ball. But again, it's like I said, it's one of the most fun things that I get to do for the for the squad. I mean, for the company rather, and it's 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 a good time. You mentioned under 35 with no kids and good at ball. So that was, and it, good it, at it was ball. That, it was that third qualification that knocked my no, boy Gabriel Silverman out of yeah. the running. <laughs> Stop. Gabe, Gabe's a good guy, Maybe, man. He's a former guest of this program. Maybe if you had a Washington Post lacrosse team. Does Gabe, oh, he played up. lacrosse in yeah, high school? I didn't know that. No, he did. I played with him. He wasn't that good. Are you hey, kidding me? back off. He was a senior captain of the Springbrook High School. Yes. Major shade. A captain because of academics. You know what I'm saying? Like it had nothing to <laughs> do all with his on-field play. Academic All-American. <laughs> this interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start disparaging lacrosse skills of Gabriel Silverman, 
we got problems. That's funny. <laughs> Clint Yates, thank you so much for being hey, with man. us on Madcap. We really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Columnist for the Washington Post, commentator on WTOP, utterly worthwhile tweeter at Clinton Yates. It's me. Go bullets! Go bullets! Madcap is produced by Dan Bloom, David Ross, and Afim Shapiro. Our intern is Marquise Goodwin. MadcapDC.org. On Facebook and Twitter at MadcapDC.